Bibles and turn with us to the book of John, the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. The Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. There's lots of good stuff in the Gospel of John, chapter six. There's Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's Jesus walking on the water. There's Jesus explaining how he is the bread of life. And there is a lot of discussion in between the lines as to people scratching their heads and saying, I don't know if I can figure it out. Well, don't figure it. Don't try to figure it out. Believe it. If Jesus says it, believe it. There are lots of things we try to figure out, and if we don't understand it, we dismiss it. And um, no, believe it. If Jesus said it, it is true. If God the Father said it, it is true. One of my, one of my famous, before we look at this passage of Scripture, one of my, one of my most famous pictures in my mind is, uh, is an organic ga- gardening magazine. And my mother and dad used to get that faithfully when we were kids and Prevention Magazine. And um, they were big on, on, on gardening and big on health and all of that. But I love this magazine, this one magazine, because on the front of the magazine was a little girl, and she could have only been about five years of age at the time, and she had an apple in her hand, and she had that apple tucked right here, like, this is my apple, don't you dare take it away from me. But in the other hand, she had an apple, and it was out like this. She was extending out, and you can see in the picture, she's clearly inviting us to take one of those two apples. Don't take mine. But you can have this one. But you can have this one. Now keep that in mind when we look at John chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1 through 3, I think it's one of the best introductions. We never talk about it. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs. That would be his miracles that he performed on those who were diseased. So Jesus was healing people of diseases and sicknesses and making them well. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And when I read that, I do a big sigh (sighs) because of what's going to happen next. I'm grateful that Jesus had the opportunity to go up on the mountain and sit down with his disciples in preparation for what was going to happen next. Now, that's like sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? And I can make an application right off the bat. Before we even get into the miracle, let's simply say that this sitting at the feet of Jesus is something that you and I need to be doing all the time. I'm not saying sitting at the feet of Jesus physically speaking, because Jesus' physical presence is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, right? 23 times the scripture tells us that. But sitting at the Jesus in his spiritual presence is important for us. Uh, Martha and Mary sat at Jesus' presence in, the phys- in his physical presence. Martha, of course, was out cooking in the kitchen, and Mary just was sitting there. She was just hanging on to every single word that Jesus was sharing with her. 
And that's what we need to do. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. There was a song in one of our old choir books. We had, this was our choir book many, many years ago. And it's called Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I don't, I don't know that it's any other book that I have. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, what words I hear him say. Happy place so near, so precious. May it find me there each day. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, I would look upon the past. For his love has been so gracious, it has won my heart at last. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, where can mortal be more blessed? There I lay my sins and sorrows, and when weary, find sweet rest. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, there I love to weep and pray, while I from his fullness gather grace and comfort every day. We need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Bless me, O my Savior, bless me, as I sit low at your feet. O look down in love upon me, let me see your face so sweet. Give me, Lord, the mind of Jesus, make me holy as he is. May I prove I've been with Jesus, who is all my righteousness. Amen. Great song, great song. But lest I mess the truth of this up, for you. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is having fellowship with Christ. It's having fellowship with Christ. And these three passages of Scripture, there are actually four, but these three passages of Scripture I think are great. I'm going to share each one of them without giving you any commentary whatsoever. Because in my human way of thinking, I, I might mess up something that is just absolutely precious. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Everybody, if you have your Bible, you might want to look at this and you might want to make a note of it somewhere so you can go back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Second passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Before the book of Revelation, you have Jude, and then you have the, the last three epistles that John writes. And in John chapter 1, what does the Bible tell us in verse 3? That which we have seen and heard... We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Zipping it. That's God's Word. Anything I say as a commentary might mess it up. And I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible, God is talking to, through John, to the churches of, of, uh, of Asia. And in chapter 3, he addresses one of the churches with the words of Jesus himself, which say in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. 
All right? And then finally, I want you to go to the book that we're dealing with. And I want you to go to the 14th chapter, John chapter 14. Because when we get to John chapter 14, people are still trying to figure out who Jesus is. They're still not sure. And people have been trying to figure out who Jesus is for 2,000 years. But Jesus is clear about who he is in John chapter 14. He is not only God, equal with the Father, but he also has come to us in the person of man, mankind. And so it's because of the combination of Jesus being God and man that we can be saved. Only God can save us, and only we can pay or suffer for the penalty of our sins, and Jesus suffered in our place so that we could be saved. See, that's what's so exciting about all of this. It's what Jesus has done for us. But while they're still struggling, even the the apostles are still struggling about the identity of Christ, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty clear now at this point, but they still have their questions. I want you to go to chapter 14, verse 23. Once again, I will read the words of Jesus himself where he said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Can't be much clearer than that. I love what happens later on because the Bible says that not only is the Father and the Son going to come, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, verse 26, He will come as well, and He will be your Comforter. So, if you were to discern from all of this what it is, and sitting in the presence of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, it is a wonderful fellowship that we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to do that. We need to do that. I hope, I hope you understand that in just a minute or two, but I want you, first of all, to look at, this, uh, look at this miracle that Jesus performs in verses 4 and following. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Yeah, well, so much for rest and relaxation, right? He sees this great multitude coming towards him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to him to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And you remember Philip's answer. Philip said to him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. I kind of get the impression that Philip's scrambling a little bit. If he had had a cell phone, he'd have had that thing open, and he'd have had that calculator out, and he'd be figuring out everybody's wages, and he'd be figuring out how much bread they needed for 5,000 people plus women and children, by the way, as the other gospels share. You see, because this, this is the only miracle that Jesus performed that's in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and John. And you have some details in those others that kind of add to the story. But boy, is he scrambling, because the big question is, Where are we going to get bread to feed these people? So you and I can, in our own thinking, we can 
we can try to think this through and we can say, well, weren't there any previous preparations? What do you mean by previous preparations? Well, didn't everybody going out that day to see Jesus bring a lunch maybe before they all got together? I mean, everything was done so impromptu so many times with Jesus. Didn't everybody think, 5,000 people think, to go to the stores and the markets and buy some, buy some lunch, lunch and, and bring it with them? Now, you're, by now, you're all aware of my favorite my favorite illustration of how people who don't believe one, he just can't believe God's Word, how they like to water this down. And um, the, the, the famous one is that, you, you all know, uh, they all had lunches with them. And when they saw what this little boy was willing to do, because you know what happens there, they felt bad. And they all brought their lunches out and decided to share their lunches with everybody. But here's the worst. Some people like to think that maybe Jesus had planned this event long in advance, and so he had a cave near the mountain where he was, and he and the disciples stashed some food in the cave. I'm serious. People do this. They, we think crazy things. And they stash some food in the cave. And when the time came, came the disciples snuck the food out, and gave everybody the impression that Jesus was performing the greatest miracle, perhaps, that he ever performed, seen by the most people ever. Well, listen, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to get bread? Testing him. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. And the Bible tells us that that's the area where they were from in the, synop- the other Gospels. So Philip was from Bethsaida, so he would have known where all of the farms were. He would have known where all of the, the, the town market was and every, everything. He'd, he'd, if there was any way to get food out there to the people there in the wilderness, he could have done it. But Philip says, you know what? There's just no way we can provide this food. And so not only is he scrambling, but Andrew, by the way, who was also from Bethsaida. Andrew and, and, and Peter were also from Bethsaida. The Bible tells we learned that in John chapter 1, verse 44. And the Bible says that Andrew was out there looking around and trying to figure out where the food he didn't find any of these lunches that people had hidden. No way, he didn't find any of those. But he did find a little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. Five little, little loaves of bread and two fishes. And so when Jesus is talking to the disciples about where this, meat, where this food is going to come from, Peter's brother Andrew said, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves, verse 9, and two small fish. But what are they among so many? There's no way in the world we can feed I mean, even if you had to end up doing what the pilgrims did that first winter when they were practically starving, history records the fact that they, they gave everybody five grains of corn every day. That was it. Why, this wouldn't even be a, a crumb. You'd have to get a magnifying glass to see it if that's what you got, you see. But anyway, Andrew said there's just... <laughs> We just can't feed these people. And so Jesus said in verse 10, make the people sit down. There was much grass there. It was an easy place for them to all sit down. They sat down in order. 
The men sat down, about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Now, it's very important that you and I understand this miracle. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Now, here's Jesus breaking the bread and taking the fish Passing it out. And every time he passes a fish out, he has another one in his hand to pass out. Every time he, 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 he puts bread in a basket, he has another basket full to pass out. Now, you need, and I need to look at it that way, you see, because it's important for you to understand that this is all about Christ's power. Jesus is proving who he is because of his ability to create food. And so he is passing it out. He says to the disciples in the other Gospels, we want you to give that bread to other people. But you and I need to understand that our responsibility is to give the food, not to make it, not to create it. Jesus is creating it. He is giving it to his disciples, and they are giving it to the crowd. That's important for you and I to understand. But when he says, give the bread to them, which he doesn't say in this one, he says, give the bread to them. Think about this for a second. You and I by now know what the Bible teaches about Jesus being the bread of life. So we're not talking about Jesus being a physical loaf of bread. Jesus uses physical bread to describe that he is the bread of life. If you want life, you're going to have to take the bread that Jesus offers. If you reject the bread that Jesus offers, then I'm sorry. There's no other way under heaven by which man can be saved but through Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? I didn't twist nothing. It's exactly what the Bible says. So you and I know we're kind of like that Mexican, Mexican baker who in the morning, every morning he'd get up and he had his basket. And you all know this by now. I've shared this illustration many, many times, and he would put his fresh baked bread in the bottom of his basket, and then he would put a towel on top and take his Bible and put it on top of the towel, and he would go through the market, and he would say, I've got, I've got bread to sell, and I got bread for free. Jesus is the bread of life. It's the church's responsibility to share it. It's not our responsibility to change hearts. It's not our responsibility to impart grace. It's not our responsibility to make people eat it. We can't. If people don't want to eat it, they're not going to eat it. The church's responsibility is to share the bread of life. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes an awful lot of responsibility off of you, doesn't it? It takes a lot of responsibility off of me. I remember my grandfather one time, he was up in his 70s, and he was, uh, he was sick at home, and he was up in the bedroom, and I heard my, my grandmother crying up in the bedroom. And I went up, and I said, listen, what's wrong? And she said to me, she said, Granddad won't eat anything. He won't eat anything. And I thought, well, okay, Grandma. Uh, and she had the softest food that she could, even, she, she could give to him. Grandma, granddad won't eat anything. And I said, well, Grandma, I'll tell you what. Uh, Why don't you go ahead downstairs, and I'll feed him. 
and I'll feed him. And I sat there by my granddad's bed, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I coaxed, and I did everything under the sun to get him to eat, but he wouldn't eat anything. Uh, Tried it a little bit, and that was it, and that was it. You and I can't make people eat the bread of life, but your responsibility and my responsibility is to share it. God will do the rest. God is the one who opens hearts. And so the Bible says that when all was said and done, they collected how many basket loads of food? Verse 13. Here's this food just keeps coming and keep coming. I'd love to have been there. I'd love to just, I'd like to have been up front there watching to see how all of this food was coming out of the Lord's hands. Wow. It's a fantastic miracle. But you have your skeptics, of course, who'll say, oh, I know how it was done. Well, in verse 13, there were 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. They're going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and saying God promised a prophet who was going to come. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king, right? And then, and then later on you have these others, but these are saying, wow, this is the one that, G- that God said is going to come and work miracles. So what happens after this? What happens after this? What happens after this? Look at verse 14. 15 rather. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... He departed again to the mountain with his disciples where they all sat down together. Is that what it says? No. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, everybody together, he departed again to the mountain by himself. What did the disciples do? Verse 16. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now, I don't want you to read too much into this passage of Scripture, you see, but this is really a down-to-earth situation that occurs next when the disciples don't have that opportunity to sit with Jesus. You can make the application in your own mind about that, but the, point of the, for the, the important thing to remember here is that Jesus is appointing for the disciples this trial And what has happened is they're on the lake, and what happened? It's dark. There's a storm, and Jesus ends up walking on the water to the boat where we have this famous scene where Jesus says to the disciples, don't be afraid, it's me. And the others, of course, give some additional information about Simon Peter coming out of the boat and walking on the water. But I want to, you think about this for a minute. You know, here's Christ giving us the responsibility to distribute the bread of life, but also, also appointing for us trials as we go through the situations that we're faced with while we're doing that. Think about that for a minute. 
I, I think that's kind of an incredible situation. Now, had Jesus ever been in a boat with the disciples before this time with a storm at sea? Yes. <laughs> he had already been in the boat sleeping when there was a storm the last time. All right? You see the difference here. Jesus is sleeping, so he can't help us. He's sleeping, so we're scared to death. And, um, and this time, Jesus is nowhere in sight. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus controls not only the creation of bread, but Jesus controls the winds and the waves and the storms of life that we face. That's, that's the issue that I want you to see. Jesus is Lord of the winds and the waves. Now, I picked a couple. I, I like this guy. I like this pastor, a well-known pastor in, uh, from over in Europe. And I, I, love, I love some of the little comments that he makes. But I love this one. And I thought, you know, I can't say it any better than he does. Trial, we must distinctly understand, is part of the diet which all true Christians must expect. It is one of the means by which their grace is proved and by which they find out what there is in themselves. Winter as well as summer. Cold as well as heat. Or shall I say heat as well as cold at the moment. Clouds as well as sunshine are all necessary to bring the fruit of the Spirit to ripeness and maturity. We do not naturally like this. We would rather cross the lake with calm weather and favorable winds, with Jesus always by our side and the sun shining down on our faces. But it is not to be. It is not to be. But what does Jesus prove? He is the Lord of the winds and the waves. Now, what he does in the next section here, in verse 22, and we're going to close with this. In verse 22 and following, on the following day, the people are standing on the other side of the sea. And you'll know there's this little, little thing about the, the people not finding Jesus and getting in boats to go and find Jesus. And Jesus then saying to them, you know, you're really interested in seeing me and spending time with me because, not because of the signs now, but because you ate the loaves of bread and were filled, verse 26. And then Jesus says this in verse 27, which is my last verse. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. This is the work of God in verse 29, that you believe in him who he sent. There you go. There you have it. And once again, I, let me simply say this to you, that um, uh, let me, I, I could share this from memory probably, but let me just read it to you. Because we're looking at John not only for our own personal benefit, but we're looking to see how we can share the gospel with others. Because John not only wants to prove who Jesus is, so that others will respond in faith and see him as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, John 1. But he wants us to be strengthened in our own faith. So when the question is asked, how are we to labor? There is only one answer. 
We trust, we must labor in the use of all appointed means. We must, number one, read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. We must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. Number three, we must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a will. And number four, we must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil like those who fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. These are the ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found in Him. This is laboring. This is the secret of what Jesus said in verse 27. Labor not for the meat. I will, I will close with these. Uh, you, you remember last week? What did Jesus say? Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Laboring for the everyday stuff and all of the provisions that we want and need. It's really important for us to understand. This is a great book. It doesn't stop. Chapter 6 doesn't stop at verse 27. So read the rest of it and see how the disciples handle some of the, some of the identity problems that the people are running into. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd guide us and bless us together. And Lord, as we sing this last song, we pray, Lord, that you would touch each heart that needs to be touched. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, as you have asked us. Amen.